you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Let's give God praise tonight. Let's just magnify the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. a good day. I'm glad you're in the house of the Lord tonight. I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. I want to welcome Lexi. She is a foreign exchange student from Germany. She's been with us for a few services and going to be with us for a little while. Would you welcome her tonight? God bless you. Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 2. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 2. And I'm going to skip down through this passage to bring this idea together with you tonight. Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 2. Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. I think it's good to wash your hands. But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Verse 7, drop with me. Verse 7, ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. There is a danger that is in the world today in which we live and particularly in the church world. I'm going to bring a word to you tonight, and I don't know, sometimes I struggle with finding titles that may fit exactly what I feel to speak and what I'm wanting to say. Last night, 
I was sitting in the living room with my wife and we she was reading or writing and I was watching a video of someone who had once walked in this wonderful truth and got mixed up in false doctrine and began to teach all sorts of strange ideas got caught up in all sorts of idiosyncrasies in scripture and started following the wrong people and running with the wrong crowd and although gifted in, in many ways began to drift and drift he did until eventually I found that he now pastoring in another location from where I had been connected with him. And I didn't know a lot about that congregation and I researched a little bit last night to discover the, the far extremes that one went to who once walked near to the Lord and very strong in faith to walk so extremely far away from the paths of Scripture that he one walked, once walked because he got caught up in the traditions of men. For lack of a better title tonight, just inspired by the Lord and understanding the danger in following cheap religion. So I'm going to preach tonight the danger of cheap religion. Would you pray with me tonight that the Lord would help us to see what he's wanting to speak from his word tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, believe tonight that you're going to speak to every heart and every life that is in this room. God, I'm trusting you that you're going to do a work that only you can in every life and mind and spirit. And I thank you and honor you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You could be seated. God bless you. I'm so very thankful for the teaching ministries that have developed and are in development in this church. Those who are teaching Bible studies and those who are expanding in their knowledge of truth, growing in their knowledge of truth. And as my wife and I grow together, we sat at the table last night she shared with me an idea that the Lord had given her this past week, and I was moved so deeply by some of the things that she was bringing to me, and the ideas that the Lord had given her. And she, of course, my wife is a gifted writer. If you don't know that about her, she is a very gifted writer, and she is inspired to work on some things that the Lord has given her, and these things are connected to the furtherance and the depth of understanding, particularly to those who have a desire to grow in truth and in ministry. Our teams here that are teaching and developing teachers and growing teachers and growing disciples, because really that's what the Bible 
tells us that we are to do, and that is to make disciples. That's what the scripture said, make disciples, go and make disciples. And in the, in the process, disciple making is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a while to, to make disciples. When Jesus called those who were already developed mentally, emotionally, and physically and of an age where they would be developed in many areas of life, some skilled in certain areas and some educated in certain areas, he took his disciples and spent three and a half years with them every day developing them and growing them. There's a lot of teaching, particularly when we take and understand that we're together in church, one, two, or for some that are more faithful, three times a week, and we can grow. But to spend every day with the Lord uh, would be a crash course, yet it still took Jesus three and a half years. If you break that down to understand the length of time that it may take for one to develop. Uh, it is a process, and it comes through teaching, and that's why I believe that our teaching ministries are so incredibly important and that each of us must study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what the Bible says. Uh we can't teach what we don't know, and we can't preach what we don't know. And this word, this word must be this book. This book is what we are, are about. It's, we, I love our music. I love our worship. Wouldn't take anything for it. We want to we see it continue to grow. We want to see all of the ministries of the church and outreaches of the church grow. But there is nothing more important than the word of God. Because this word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And I know we live in a day where there's a lot of for-profit prophets. But I do want to tell you, if you want to know what God is wanting to say to the church today to begin with, you get your nose in this book. Because this book is going to tell you what God is speaking to the church. And anybody that comes along, any prophet that comes along, any preacher that comes along and says something that is contrary to the word of truth, let him be a lie. But let the word of God stand as truth in your life. So as we see, my wife was listening in on my exploration last night as I was listening and heard this gentleman that had once walked true to the Lord and without a doubt had certain giftings and began to prophesy, but his prophecies have changed their, their, um, their, their sound. It's, it's very obvious that he has moved into a realm that no longer is he following God, but now he's following prophets. It's now about the crowd and the money and all of those things that has grabbed him and caught his ideas. And you can look, you can look around you and see that men, when men fall, often they fall to some polluted or discounted doctrine, some message that is 
watered down, some truth they believe that is going to bring revival and bring growth. When people ask me what has been the success of CLC, what has been the success of the church, what is it that, is it, is it one ministry or is it another ministry or is it a specific outreach? And I have been very careful to tell everybody if I could inspire every church and every leader and every minister and every pastor, if I could inspire them to one thing, I would tell them, buy the truth and sell it not. <laughs> buy the truth and sell it not. Stand firm on the truth. Don't waver in the truth. Water, watering down this message is not going to bring revival in these end times. I know the, the whole idea is built around business models because words like discounted and half price and final sale can get people running to stores and malls and reaching for credit cards. But cheap often comes with an outrageously high price. In a market that is saturated with increasingly similar goods, price often becomes the ultimate winner. But I, one, have learned that oftentimes when you begin to compare products, they're not all made alike. And just because it carries a specific tag or name brand doesn't necessarily mean that it comes with a particular quality. There was a day when a name would represent, but then the world economy started being that some of the great American-made products that would be, would be known among us as the highest of qualities now have been shipped to China and Japan and places where people sitting in uh, subordinate uh, with subordinate training and, and, and weak, uh, weak skill levels that are working for incre increasingly low uh, wages uh, in their sweatshops uh, using child labor and inferior, inferior labor and inferior materials begins more and more and more to take, to take over markets. And yet the name brand is there, but the quality is not there. We must be careful in this market-filled world of religion in which we live today that we don't get caught up in the whole ideology that because we have Christian attached to our name or we have apostolic Pentecostal attached to our name that that means a whole lot in this world in which we are living. Because everything that calls itself Christian is not of Christ. And everything that calls itself apostolic is not truly of the apostolic doctrine. And everything that calls itself Pentecostal is not real in its Pentecostal experience. But instead it is some watered down version. It is some cheap religion that is called that is that is conjured up to reach the masses with some weaker message that is not real bible truth i come tonight and rise to this pulpit to declare that this church must always make sure that we are stable placed on the rock that 
We must be in the truth. We must be in the word of God. We must be anchored to the rock of our salvation. We must be firm in what we believe. There's a crisis that is brewing in our churches. It's the demand for discounted religion and deluded doctrines. If we look around us and see dealers that have come on the scenes over the last few years, a great big huge outlet store called Ikea that is on I-69 north side of Indianapolis. It makes goods available to everybody. People ask me, hey, where did you get that, Ikea? And I ask them, does it look like I got it at Ikea? Because that speaks to me. Its goods are available at extremely low prices. It is put together at an extremely fast rate with very low qualities. And then the goods are not yet assembled and left for jobs for us to be able to assemble and put together. Someone asked me one time if I would be interested in taking a small sideline job. And I asked them what it consisted of and they said they would like for me to assemble some cabinets that they bought at Ikea. I declined because I had talked to someone who bought cabinets that were, uh, that were available through Ikea and they had decided that they would assemble those cabinets for hire. And this project in which was estimated to take about two to three days took them about two to three weeks with three guys working together to assemble these cabinets because they said things that the instructions were not clear and things were not 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 very it, it was it was just sketchy everything nothing really made a lot of sense I, 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 I'm coming to you tonight from this point of view of scripture that we must be very very careful that in this world when we are seeing how other churches are doing it and we're seeing what is popular in the Christian world, that we decide that we're going to, rather than following the Bible and following truth, that we begin to follow the trends of the church world. And we can so easily get caught up in the trends of what they are doing and how they are doing it. Before long, we begin to sing songs that are not doctrinally based preach messages that move a crowd but have nothing more than a sad story or a cool ending or a certain rhythm or beat or moves us in a certain way emotionally. But I come tonight to tell you if any man preach anything other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified, he is not preaching the real truth. Our songs must be based in the Word of God. Our music trends ought to be based in the Word of God. Our preaching must be based in the Word of God. We must be careful. My wife asked me last night what the gentleman was doing. I can't remember the word that she used as she was listening. She said, what, what, what in the world is he doing? Is he conjuring up some sort of, some sort of spirit? Is he, is he a soothsayer? Is he a fortune teller? He, he was calling somebody out and had all sorts of things that he was going through in specific ways and started giving the guy his 
telling a guy his address where he lived because supposedly God was telling him his address, but he had to ask the man if he was married or not. He told the man what his name was, but he didn't have the middle name. I've, I've kind of heard stories along that line, and I, I don't know. I get a little confused at why in the world is God concerned with what your social security number is. I mean, if you want to give me your bank account number, that's okay. But I don't recommend it. And some things we begin to look at, and I begin to realize that some of these for-profit prophets begin to prophesy things that have absolutely nothing to do with God and nothing to do with salvation or nothing to do with the Word of God. They are nothing more than to move a crowd for people to look at him and go, whoa, isn't that neat? He could tell a man what his address is. I don't know if the man needed to know what his own address was or not. But it was pretty persuasive for a man to stand in a pulpit and call out somebody and give them their address publicly and everybody's looking at one another going, wow, wow, he's a fortune teller. He's a soothsayer. He's one that, listen, I've known some of you most of my life, most of your life maybe, and I don't even know your address. I know where some of you live, but please don't tell me, don't ask me if I have your phone number. I may, I may not. I may have to look it up every time I call. God's not giving me your phone number, not waking me up in the middle of the night, giving me your phone number. He may put your face before me. He may call me to a point of prayer because he's dropped your name in my spirit. But we need to be careful that what we are doing for God is not about boasting and lifting ourselves up. I never want us to rise as a church. You, I, I, I say this very humbly tonight, but our church is growing in recognition. Our church is growing in and around the community and, 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 and the religious world. And, and, and we had guests that were here this morning. And I, I say this very humbly, and I know we're online, and I know people may be watching this around the country or even around the world. And I want to be very carefully and say this humbly. But this church better never get to a point where we get exalted because people drive in from out of state or out of town to come and just be in service with us because they like what they see and they watch us online and they like our program and they like our music and we get lifted up and start believing that it's about our gifts and about our talents and about what we have and what we have to offer. I come to you tonight and tell you that God has always used the base things, the small things, the little things, the weak things, the simple things to confound the wise. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. The Lord didn't call us to an easier life, but he called us to take up our cross and to follow him. The high price of prayer and the high price of sacrifice and the high cost of faithfulness has caused people to not only settle for, but even demand a brand of religion 
that requires and costs nothing. Why do you suppose that there are close to a hundred million church members in America, yet they are not making more of a moral impact or a spiritual impact in the world in which they live? It's because the majority have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. The Bible said from which from, from which to turn away. Why is it that on Sunday morning thousands of churches have more empty pews than filled pews? Why is it that only half of those on the American membership roles of churches are actually expected to attend church? Out of those in this very city in which we live, as many as will call themselves Christian and call themselves connected and associated with the church, only about 12.5% of the American people actually attended church on this Sunday morning. The answer to this question is very tragic and very simple. I believe that America as a whole has bought into the message of discounted, cheap religion. Come as you are and stay as you were is not the motto of the early church. I want this to settle in a little bit. I know I'm not preaching hard and fast tonight. And I know we're not running aisles and swinging off the rafters tonight. But I want to build a foundation by which this church is going to grow and move forward. I come tonight to remind you that this church is not about programs, yet I want it to have great programs. This church is not about popularity, yet I want this church to be the main church in this community and in this world. I want to advertise until this church becomes a household name, but I never want us to get boasted and lifted up because this is the church that I attend. I want us to recognize that our roots go all the way back to the early church. What did the early church look like? They went daily together in prayer and breaking of bread. They went house to house. They were in supplication and prayer. They never let down and let off of some of the basic things that are required to build a church. Lord, let us never get so built up with our social media presence, with our video streaming, with our lights and music, with all of our uh, cool ways of having church that we move away from the basic doctrine of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, repentance, baptism in His name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and a separated life. It's completely human to place little value on things that cost us nothing. When we don't put much in, the value declines. But when it is your blood, sweat, and tears, when it's your prayer and sacrifice, the cost begins to mean something and the buy-in becomes natural and easy. My father used to have a statement that he made. I don't know where he got it from. 
But I used to hear him say it all the time in my growing up years. He would say, if you live for God easy, it's hard. But if you live for God hard, it's easy. I now know what my dad was saying and I understand what he was meaning. What he was meaning was when you sell out and you sacrifice and you give your all and when you declare that there is nothing that is more important in your life than serving God, it becomes easy to serve God. But when you serve God with a haphazard, humdrum attitude of it doesn't matter and I'll give God what's left and I'll give God if I have time, I will pray. If I have time, I'll go to church. If I have time, I'll sacrifice. But I'm telling you, if you do that, it will become very hard to serve the Lord. But I believe tonight that I have a group of people that is in this room that have made up their mind. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Take everything from me, but don't take this truth. Don't take my opportunity to worship. Don't take my opportunity to pray. It's time that the church rises in these last days. The seriousness of cheap religion can be compared to missiles that are aimed a mere one degree off of target. It doesn't take much. It's just a little bit. But the further the distance, the more off that you will become. The difference seems slight and negligible at first. Oh, it's just a little off. It's just a little off doctrine. It's just a little ways off truth. It's just a little bit, but the results of the air increase dramatically throughout the flight until the missile totally misses its intended target. What does that have to do with the church? This is why it's so important that we stay grounded and that we stay zeroed in on the target. Because it's not even about what is happening in the church today. It is about what is happening in the church 10 years from now. If God tarries, where is the church going to be 10 years from now? What is it going to look like when these students are the elders that are in this church? What is it going to look like when these young adults are the key leaders that are in this church? Hey, I come tonight to tell you we must stay zeroed in and laser focused for the long haul, not just looking at the here and now, but with a made-up mind that we say we're not moving and we're not wavering, but we are in this for the long haul. As with all heirs, the effects compound over time until they lead to total destruction. I'm not preaching a political message today. I, I, I'm not preaching a message that's just intended to, to scrape the surface of, of some issues. I, I, I don't believe that things like abortion is a political issue. I believe it is a biblical and moral issue. It is a subject that we must deal with with much grace and with much mercy and with much love. I don't want to beat the drum so loudly and preach so hard that people who maybe before they came to the Lord have had abortions 
and have gone this direction in life and made these choices feel like this church would never love me. I stand in this pulpit tonight to tell you that it doesn't matter how far you have gone and what decisions that you have made. God loves you. He cares for you. You can be saved. There's hope for you. Don't ever let anybody get Let me just get it right where we live tonight. I drove out of the parking lot of this church the other day, and I'm not criticizing anyone, but I'm going to bring a very strong point to you. I drove out of the church the other day, and there was a group that was gathered down at the intersection, and they had their signs. They were out. They had a lot of truth, and I know it was well-meaning, and I'm sure I'm sure. They, they, they came, felt like they're really doing something. They're making a mark. They were holding signs against abortion. They were holding signs that was, that was saying various things, all of which that I agree with. But we must be very careful in this world in which we live that our truth is not so harsh and so hard that people don't feel the love in what we're Speak to our young preachers that are in this room. Don't ever grace this pulpit and preach on hell if you can't weep while you're preaching on hell. Because there are people that are that are lost and undone and going to a devil's hell. And if you don't have love in your heart for them when you're preaching about it, then don't come and preach it. Let me say to this church, I'm all about being public about what we believe. But don't ever get so firm and so harsh about what we believe that we miss the point of letting people know we love you, we care about you, there is hope for you. As I drove down the parade of signs, maybe a hundred people or close to it that was, that was parading down the road, I started reading every sign as I was going through and I kept looking for somebody to say, there's hope for you, there's help for you, Jesus loves you. Instead, it was more of a judgmental approach in which they are saying, you will be condemned, it's sin, you're going to hell, it's wrong. All of those things are true. I'm not here to tonight to dilute the doctrine, but ne neither am I here to dilute loot the doctrine that Jesus loves people where they are he, while we were yet sinners he died for us there's hope for everybody it doesn't matter how far they've gone how far they've walked away I want this church to stand firm in truth and embrace the world with love I'll lift your hands and give God praise Hallelujah. 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 It's no time for the church to dilute the doctrine. It's also no time for the church to lose its grace and its mercy. I'm not trying to push people away. I want everybody to know this is a church for everybody. I reminded one of our guests this morning, something Brother Tenney said, in my very young years of ministry in a minister's group that I was in, Brother Tenney 
was speaking to us. Brother Tom Fred Tinney made a statement, and he said we have to be. He, he was speaking of himself. He was the district superintendent, great renown over many, many ministers. And he said, I have to be everybody's superintendent. And he looked at us and he said, some of you men are going to pastor. And you've got to learn that you've got to be everybody's pastor. Not just those that you agree with. And not just those that you like to have breakfast or lunch with. But you've got to be everybody's pastor. You've got to feel everybody's burden. You've got to feel everybody's pain. I want to take that one step further and tell you the kind of church that I believe God wants us to be. I believe he wants this to be a church for everybody. This has got to be everybody's church. This has got to be the church for the broken, the church for the sinner, the church for the one for the one that's lost and undone. We've got to be a loving church, a church that is welcoming. And then we get in the doctrine. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. When the pilot of a giant airline, airliner begins to speed down the runway, there's a certain point where staying on the ground is no longer an option. It's called... It's called, I, I can't remember all of the terms, but it's referred to as the point of no return. When he crosses that line of speed, he can no longer slow down because he's going at a certain rate of speed for that aircraft. That if he slowed down, that it would end tragically and that airliner would literally crash before it ever got off the runway. At that point, the pilot can no longer change his mind. He is committed to the air. They have reached the point of no return. At that point, they've got to go full speed ahead and they've got to take to the air. Unfortunately, churches are filled with members who have never gotten off the ground because they have never committed to the cost of discipleship. They have never committed to the cost of following the Lord. Jesus said, take up my cross and follow me. Come on, child of God. We have been on the runway long enough. Oh, I know we baptized about 50 or over 50 people this year in Jesus' name, and I give God praise and glory for that. But I want to tell you that the revival that God is going to send this church, that this year's number of baptisms pales in comparison to what God is really wanting to do. It's time for some of us to make some life-changing commitments that says I'm going to be a soul winner. I'm going to be a disciple maker. I'm going to be one that reaches everybody. Maybe you've been planning on it, meaning to, wanting to, trying to, going to, aiming to, and hoping to, but you will never get anywhere until you commit to the price that God is asking us to pay. Salvation is free, but it will cost you everything. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul issues a clear call when he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word present there is a technical Greek word used for offering a sacrifice. This is a voluntary act. Most often these great words that are used, such as the word present your body, the word present speaks in a word picture. It doesn't say I command you, but it says I beseech you or I beg you or I implore you or I ask you because this is something that is completely up to you. Present your body a living sacrifice. It is a request. It's not a commandment. It is a calling for you to do what you know to do. This is something that is completely up to you. Paul goes on to say that it is but our reasonable service based on what we have received from God. It is logical that we would pay the price. That's what he's saying. It is a reasonable sacrifice or it is logical. It makes sense in the mind that we would pay the price and the cost of discipleship. It makes sense that we would commit ourselves to the Lord. But it is connected to that first phrase that says, present your body. Let me draw the word picture to you as I approach a close in this message tonight. Under the Old Testament sacrificial system, the animal to be sacrificed was committed to the priest. The priest would then take the, the sacrifice that was brought to him and he would inspect the sacrifice. The sacrifice then was killed and was consumed on the altar. The believers are told that they are to present themselves a, not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. What he is saying here becomes so clear because the apostle is connecting what we are to do in the New Testament church to what had been done in the Old Testament church. He was saying what you are to do is to present your body a living sacrifice where in the Old Testament they were to present the sacrifice and it was to be killed and it was to be destroyed. So we continue to live while that sacrifice was to die. And so we are to present ourselves not having one as the Old Testament sacrifice was brought by one and was presented to the priest. The scripture says that we are to present ourselves to our high priest, to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to present ourselves a living sacrifice knowing that God is not going to kill us although we are worthy of death. But when we present 
our bodies a living sacrifice. There is to be the same commitment in our sacrifice that was made in the Old Testament sacrificial system. And so the Old Testament, the, the lamb was taken and was offered and it was killed and it was there on the altar where it was killed. But Jesus now becomes our sacrificial lamb. Anybody with me tonight? Jesus becomes our sacrificial lamb. So he went in our stead. He died so you and I can live. So he said present your bodies a living sacrifice because he went to die the final death of any sacrificial lamb. Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was the lamb that was slain in your stead and mine. He died that you and I might be able to live and so they took that lamb and they would tie that lamb to the altar on that altar of sacrifice there was what is called four horns of the altar they would take that sacrifice they would take that sacrificial lamb and they would tie it to the four horns of the altar each leg would be tied to one of the four horns of the altar so that in the process of the fire being built and the lamb being slain that the lamb would not fall off of the altar but it was committed to staying in the center of the altar and when they took Jesus to the cross they took him and bound him his hands and his feet yet he said no man is taking my life from me but I lay it down. Thus the apostle Paul says, present your body willingly a living sacrifice. You want to call yourself Christian? Present your body a living. Nobody's making me do this, but I am presenting. I am laying it down. That Old Testament sacrifice was tied to the altar, but you and I have to tie ourselves to the altar and say, I present my life a living sacrifice that would be holy acceptable unto God which is my reasonable service somebody shout I'm committed shout I'm committed it's impossible to be sort of committed it's impossible to be partially committed true commitment is not something that you can take back if it doesn't work out. I've had people say, well, I want to come check out your church and I want to try it out and I want to see how it fits me. I want to see what's in it for me. I understand the premise in which they are coming. And I usually don't say what I think at that very moment. But I'm going to tell you the church is never supposed to be something that we try on for size, that we try on for fit, that we try to see if it's going to conform to what I like and sing my kind of music and preach my kind of sermons and be my kind of people. But we must come and commit ourselves unto God. God and declare take whatever you need to take but I am committed I am tied to it I am presenting my life a living sacrifice stand with me all over this room tonight 
this kind of commitment is not cheap. This kind of religion is not cheap. It's a costly religion. It's a costly truth. It's a costly. As a matter of fact, when the scripture begins to speak about the Holy Ghost, which is in us, it talks about it in the manner of being the pearl of great price. It talks about it as being riches that are untold. We think that's all just, all of these glorious things is just when we get on the other side. But I'm going to tell you the life living for God, the life of sacrifice, the life of servitude unto the Lord is the greatest life that you can possibly live. It may cost you this world, but in the end, you will gain a reward that is out of this world. Cheap religion will leave you without hope. But this preacher tonight comes to this pulpit in the close of this message to call this church to a point of deeper commitment unto the Lord. This pastor is calling this church, let the world do what they want. Let the Christian world do what it wants. Of course we still identify ourselves as Christian. Of course we still identify ourselves as apostolic Pentecostal. But I want to be whatever it was that the early church had. I want it to be what we have. I don't want to veer off of this truth. I don't want to veer so far away. The only way that's possible is when we commit our bodies a living sacrifice. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed with me all over this room tonight. Whether it's come across eloquently or not, doesn't matter too much. But if the spirit in which I have preached my heart to you tonight has spoken to your heart and you feel God calling you to a point of commitment, I know it may be difficult for some to kneel and pray tonight. Maybe you want to just come forward and you want to sit in a chair. Those of you that want to come and stand forward. Those of you that want to come and kneel, whatever it may be, but I'm calling this church tonight to a point of recommitment to the Lord. Recognizing, Lord, I'm not coming because I'm being commanded to, demanded, forced. I'm coming because I want to. I'm giving myself, sacrificing myself unto you. Presenting my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. It's just my reasonable service. Let's call on the Lord for a few minutes tonight. Let's turn this whole house into a prayer room. Let's just turn this whole place into a prayer room tonight. Call on the name of the Lord. Let's call on Him. Let's call on Him. Just you and the Lord tonight. 
Present yourself to him. Jesus be the center. All about you. Yes, it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens. Jesus be the center. All about you. Yes, it's all about you. in the center of your life tonight. This is a call to get back in the center. 